Revelation 21, last week I focused on verse 9. Verse 9 is a statement very similar to what we see in 17.3. There's a pause in the narrative. One of the seven angels with the seven last plagues, or the wrath of God and the vile, steps out of the narrative and says to John, Come here, let me show you something. Just like he did in 17.3. In 17.3 it happens. And he says, let me show you something, the whore. Not the the harlot, the mother of harlots, the whore. The fake religious system. The fake church that will be used to usher in Antichrist. It's easy to see how that could happen today. And then we have the same thing happen here. And he says, come here a minute, just like he did in 17. Let me show you something. And he shows him the bride, the lamb's wife. And we talked about that statement that I found very powerful. You can't mentally or socially enslave a Bible reading people. It's true. We're mentally and socially enslaved today. What does that tell you? We talked about that and we talked about how the lesson is we can't really appreciate and understand the bride unless we see and understand the whore. It's interesting that the whore is presented in detail first to us in Revelation. Now we're presented the bride. Let's make sure we can discern between the whore, the mother of harlots, and the bride. Because it's all mixed in together nowadays. The tares growing up with the wheat. Jesus said don't cut down the tares lest you kill the wheat too. But the day's coming, it's going to be separated. We need to know the difference. (coughs) Discernment, we learn, is a blessing from God upon those who fear Him. It's been a long journey, but I was... Yesterday, I finished reading the Bible in Spanish. My last chapter, did the New Testament first. I started back in 2013. I started right before I went down there and met TJ for the first time. Start with the New Testament. I finished the Old Testament yesterday, Malachi chapter 4. It was kind of, it felt good. It felt good. I read the Bible through another language by God's grace. But there, in those last couple of chapters of Malachi, we see that discernment is a gift from God upon those that fear Him as opposed to fearing man-made authority. We learn elsewhere that confusion is a judgment of God upon nations that once knew Him. Daniel said this. Ezra said this. Confusion is a judgment from God. Discernment is a blessing from God. Guys, there's a lot of confusion in America today. A lot of confusion in Israel. I'm going to tell you why this COVID's not going away. And it's not going away anyway anytime soon. It's not going away... Because we're under God's judgment. And we're trying to fix everything ourselves. We're trying all of this stuff. Masks, vaccines, booster shots, this, that, and other. And we're neglecting the one thing that could fix it. We're asking and looking for help everywhere but one place. That's the Lord. When's the last time you heard somebody in a position of influence, say, we need to go to the Lord and ask Him to deliver us from this. You don't hear that in the church. Look at Israel. Israel. 
one, a one-word vindication that the Bible is true. Church historian wrote a classic eight-volume church history in the middle 1800s. He made that statement. Even before Israel's a nation. Israel is proof that the Bible's true. One word, vindication. Israel. One word, validation, the Bible is true. Israel, one word, invalidation that that COVID shot don't work, friends. One word. Look at Israel. They should know God. And they're looking for help from everywhere but the God of their fathers. Isn't that amazing? But I can have a little grace for them because they're blinded as a people. Isaiah 6 is still in force. God has a remnant. He opens people's eyes. There's a remnant body of Messiah there in Israel. If I can have a little grace from them, we ought to know better here in America because we got the Bible and Israel's example and we still don't ask God for help. It's not going away from our churches or our society until we learn to fear God and ask Him for help. You know, Pharaoh could have saved himself a whole lot of trouble if he'd have humbled himself. But he didn't. But guess what? Israel had to learn a hard lesson. God did not separate the land of Goshen until the flies. Because the people of Israel didn't believe Moses. They murmured and complained. Now you've made Pharaoh mad at us. So they had to taste the blood. They had to taste the frogs. They had to taste that. Until they humble themselves and ask God for help. When are we going to learn that? This stuff isn't going away because it has a, it's a spiritual problem. So we can just praise God. Fear Him. He'll give you discernment to know what's true and what's not. Don't, and you'll be confused about what you're right and what you're left. And that's what these fools in leadership are. They're confused. Not just Democrat, but Republican as well. Confused, confused. Trump's a very confused individual, my friend. Pastors, teachers, confused. It's a judgment. But we don't have to be confused. We need discernment to know the whore from the bride. And that discernment can only come from God. It says there in Malachi chapter 3 that God gave discernment to those who got together who thought about the things that were being written, who feared the Lord and talked amongst each other about those things. Those are the ones that would grow up knowing right from wrong. It's a precious promise there. A lot of precious promises here, guys. But if we're not a Bible-reading people, we won't know it, we won't be able to trust it, we won't have hope, and we'll be enslaved like we are today. But we, I drew the contrast last week between the whore and the bride. And now we're here. 21 verse 9. That angel says, come here. I'm going to show you something. I just thought that command and that good old King's English, come hither, is powerful. And I thought it's interesting to see where else this is used in the Scriptures. We looked at four places in Revelation here, chapter 17, the judgment of the whore. Also in chapter 4, verse 1, John was told, come up hither. And a door opens in heaven and he's in heaven and the church is there. And then in chapter 11, verse 12, we see God say to those, the bodies of those dead street preachers, don't say street preaching don't work, it works in the tribulation. Come up hither. And they did and their enemies beheld them. That's where we left off. But there's a few... 
Other places I find very interesting where these, this command is given either in the positive or the negative. I think it's worth looking at. We may not get beyond verse 9. Joshua 3 verse 9. We hear Joshua in the plains of Moab before Israel goes into the desert say to the people, come hither to hear the words of God. Man, what a... What a reason to obey. What a reason to come here to hear God's Word. It's a righteous thing to come together to hear the words of God and yet the churches are telling us it's loving your neighbor to stay home locked in your house. Completely opposite. Come here to hear the words of God. What a precious thing to have somebody say, come here and let me share with you God's Word. To hear the words of God. How much, how often do we equate worship just with singing? You know, everything's about the 711 worship song. Same seven words repeated 11 times. And we failed as the church to see that hearing and preaching the word of God is an integral part of worship. Worship doesn't equal singing, that's a part of it. I love to sing and praise the Lord. But preaching and hearing God's word is an integral part of worship. And because that has been neglected in our churches, we fall for the lies. We, 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 we succumb to fear. Preaching God's Word, he, hearing it, is an act of worship. Don't forget that. Ruth chapter 2 verse 14 is an amazing picture here. Ruth was told, come hither by the well-known, well-to-do, influential Boaz. You see, Boaz had heard of Ruth's kindness to Naomi, her mother-in-law, who was a kinsman of Boaz. He had heard about this. Not from Ruth talking about herself or bragging about herself, but he had heard of this. And he remembered it. And he saw Ruth gleaning in the fields and he told his laborers to let her do so. But then he said to her, Come up, come hither. I've heard what you did for my mother-in-law. I want you to come hither and eat at my table. Come here and eat with my servants. That's a beautiful picture of something, a promise that God gives us in Hebrews 6 verse 10. For God is not unrighteous to forget your works and labors of love which you have showed toward His name. God doesn't forget. He's like Boaz. Labor for Him. He doesn't forget. And He will say, come hither and dine at my table. Praise God. One day that come hither, just like was told Ruth, to come dine with me, the marriage supper of the Lamb. That awaits us. 1 Samuel 16, 11. Samuel spoke these words to David, I mean to, to Jesse concerning David. God told Samuel, I want you to go and anoint one of the sons of Jesse. Saul has rejected me. I've rejected him. Now get your horn of oil and go anoint one of the sons of Jesse. And Samuel's like, man, if Saul finds out about this, he's going to kill me. And it's almost like God completely ignored what Samuel said. It was so irrelevant, irrational fear. It says, take your horn of oil, say you're going to sacrifice, and do what I've commanded you to do. And when Samuel shows up on the scene and gets Jesse and his sons... 
Jesse parades out the oldest one, Eliab. And Samuel says to himself, this must be the Lord's anointed. This is him. And God said, "Uh uh-uh. Don't look on the outward appearance. Don't look at a man's stature. God looks on the heart. So that's what God told Samuel. Samuel obviously believed God because all of the sons were paraded out. And none of them were God's anointed. And he said, well, is this all of your sons? And Jesse said, well, no, there's David, the youngest one, but he just keeps the sheep. He's just out here in the pasture. And Samuel said, go and tell him to come hither. In fact, we're not going to sit down to eat till he gets here. So they were left standing. That was God's anointed. That was God's anointed. Samuel, God's prophet, didn't just believe in God. He believed God, unlike a lot of preachers and pastors and self-proclaimed prophets of the day. God told him something, he believed it. He acted upon it. It was the shepherd boy God had anointed to be Israel's greatest king aside from the Messiah. 2 Samuel chapter 20, verse 16 is an interesting story. It's a picture of what we see on the right in America today. What we see from the MAGA crowd, be careful, be careful. There's foolishness on that side of the aisle too and we need not be caught up in it. After Absalom's rebellion against David, there is someone arose to rebel against the throne who was called a son of Belial. That just means a worthless person. A worthless person. This is over in 2 Samuel chapter 20. I'm just going to flip there real quick. A man of Belial. When I see that in the scriptures, I think about that old Joe Biden. A man of Belial. That's exactly what he is. That's exactly what we've got running our government. Worthless devils. Who wouldn't know right from wrong if it slapped them in the face and hit them on the crown of the head. Like a bunker buster bomb. Wouldn't know the difference. They're sons of Belial. Men of Belial run this country because the people of this country are wicked as hell. And they've turned their back to God instead of our face. That's why we've got this clown show called a government. And that's exactly what I tell people I meet in the way. And I make no apology for it. A man of Belial. But this guy's name was Sheba, the son of Bichri. He blew a trumpet and said, we're finished with David. And initiated a rebellion. David sent out his general who had actually served the men of Judah during the rebellion of Absalom. He got caught up in that. But David saw, kept him as general and sent Amasa out to find this rebel and put down the rebellion. And it took him longer than it was expected. So David sent out Joab and his mighty men to go try to put a stop to this before it spread. And they had a big mess. And guess what? Joab and his David's servants came upon Amasa and Joab murdered him. Joab took matters into his own hands quite opposite of what David did where Saul was concerned and said, you know, this guy served with Absalom. He went up to act like he was going to kiss him and took a sword and put it in his gut and then left him in the middle of the street wallowing in the street with his guts all hanging out so that the men of the army would stop and look. So they finally tossed him in the field and put a, a blanket over him so people wouldn't look at him and they went about their business. They found this rebel 
this Sheba hiding in a town behind the walls in a tower, a little town called Abel. It's the name of the town, Bet Ma'akah. Abel was known as a place where you could find wisdom. It was said in a proverb, go to Abel and ask. They'll know what you should do. Joab and his people in their zeal to put down rebellion surrounded the city and we're going to batter it to the ground. We're just going to erase it. But an old woman poked her head over the wall and called out to Joab, Come hither! Come here, dude. Let me talk some sense into you before you do something stupid that you're going to regret. Come here and let me talk some sense into you. And she said, wasn't it said of this town that you could come here for wisdom? I'm an old lady. I'm a mother in Israel. And are you going to sit here and just destroy this whole town and destroy your people in your rage? Well, no, I'm not going to do that. But there's this rebellion and this guy is inside your city walls. And she said, just calm down a minute. Let me handle it. And she went in and spoke with the elders of the city. And they tossed Sheba's head over the wall down to the ground. And Joab stayed his anger and the city was spared. Joab is a picture, in my opinion, of the reactionary conservatism in America today. Reactionary. Don't stop to think. It's a problem. It's a problem. We don't need to be caught up in that. You know, that reactionary thinking would hate its brother in Christ if he or she chose to wear a mask or he or she chose to get a vaccine. That is not of God. We may not agree with those things and we may want to share and warn our brethren, but to hate your brother in Christ over something like that, that's just like this. And that's not God. It's not God. And to think you know everything, that you've got to tell everybody else what to do, that's not God either. Just like we don't like them telling us to put the mask on our face and all that, we don't need to be telling them what not to do. I'm not going to violate my conscience, and I'm going to tell you exactly what I think. And what you do with it, that's between you and the Lord. But we need to be careful that that reactionary stuff. <clears throat> Joab's story is very sad. He was a murderer. He didn't only murder Amasa. He murdered uh, um, Abner, the general of Saul took matters into his own hands. And the Bible says that both Abner and Amasa were more righteous than him. He paid for it. He paid for it when Solomon came to the throne. And then that little plot went on after David died. Well, let Adonijah marry David's old uh, concubines. Solomon saw right through it. Joab, like a big baby, like half of these big talkers that think they're such patriots, they run and hide just like Joab, ran into the temple, grabbed the horns of the altar thinking there ain't no way they're going to kill me if I got my hands on the horns of the altar. And they came and told Solomon. Solomon told Benai, just go in there and kill him. Let's be rid of him. Because it's time for him to pay for the blood that he shed of innocent men that were more righteous than him. He met his end. I'm going to tell you right now, these people on the right are going to meet their end too. I'm going to tell you right now, if Donald Trump don't humble himself and repent and get right, he's going to be in a cell in hell right beside all them other presidents that lined up at the 9-11 memorial yeah. to pay tribute to something that they were part and parcel to doing to this country. He better get right. The right better get right. Or it's going up in hell with the left. Right and left isn't determined by politics. What's right is determined by God. He's the plumb line. 
You're either on God's side or you're on the devil's side. And God doesn't take sides in the affairs of men. God doesn't take sides between Republicans and Democrats. It's just not the way it works. Maybe we need some more folks out here saying, come here, let me talk some sense into you. Maybe that's what we need, just like that elderly woman that saved an entire town. Because she had the guts to confront somebody that was running wild with his emotions. No control over his spirit. Proverbs said that kind of man is like a city broken down without walls. Donald Trump, I voted for him, but he didn't, he didn't have control over his spirit. How many times he opened his big fat mouth at the wrong time? I mean, come on. Let's don't put our trust in these people. I hope they get right with God. That's what I hope. Interesting. There's another place we see this come hither, but it's in the negative. It's in 1 Chronicles 11.5. The Jebusites who inhabited Jerusalem told David, don't come up hither. Don't come hither. He did with his mighty men. Joab was part of that. This was before what I just talked about. He did and they took the city of Jebus and the castle of Zion and it's belonged, it, it, it belonged to Israel from that time forward. So here we have an example of somebody told not to do something, they did it anyway. We need more of that. We need more of that. We need more of the spirit of David today. When they say don't, we do. When they say do, we don't. That's what we need more of in the church. When they say you've got to put a diaper on your face, you don't do it. When they say you have to get a shot, you don't do it. When they say you shouldn't do this, you do it. When you, you shouldn't gather, you do it. We need that spirit. David was told, don't come up here and mess with us. He did anyway. It's actually an amazing story. You can go down in some of the tunnels under the old city of Jerusalem, even today. And you can actually see the tunnel that David's mighty man, Joab, it tells us who it was that went up, dug to enter into the old city of Jebus and take the castle or the, or the city of Zion. That's still there today. And that's there because somebody in authority told somebody no, and they did it anyway. We need more of that. When we have tyrannical authority, we need to be like David. Do this. No thanks. Don't do this. Sorry. I kind of like that. I like that. When a government punishes good and rewards evil, the opposite of what God tells us to submit to, we are under no obligation to do what they say. Neither do we have to fight him. You know, David was given the opportunity to slay Saul at least twice. One time Saul was using the bathroom and it covered his feet. He was going number two near the cave. And David could have slit his throat and he refused to do it. In fact, his own servants encouraged him. Man, God's delivered him in your hand. David said, I will not touch the Lord's anointed. Either God will slay him. Yeah, I know God's promised me the kingdom, but either God will slay him, he'll die, just he'll die an unnatural death, or he'll be slain in battle. And I'm content to let the Lord do it. And what happened? Saul was slain in battle. We need to be more like that. We, let's don't get caught up in this spirit that's running around our country today, divide and conquer, kill everybody that disagrees. Let's don't get caught up in that. David didn't. 
You know, I, you know, I, th- I think about that old son of Belial, Joe Biden. God will smite him. He'll die the way of all flesh, consumed by his dementia. Or he's, somebody will kill him. I'm content to wait on the Lord for that if he won't repent. It's not my place to effect that. My place is to trust the Lord and wait on it. And when wicked is destroyed, the righteous can say hallelujah. Hallelujah means praise the Lord. There's a lot we can learn from the come-hithers, the don't-come-hithers in Scripture. Proverbs 25, 6 and 7. This is interesting. Put not forth thyself in the presence of the king, and stand not in the place of great men. For it is better that it be said unto thee, Come up hither, than that thou shouldest be put lower in the presence of the prince whom thine eyes have seen. Don't strive to make a name for yourself. Don't strive to kiss up and be popular and have powerful friends because it's better for them to say you come up hither than for you to get all attached and kiss up to somebody and they embarrass you. That's wisdom. Let them say come up hither. Let's don't try to make a name for ourselves in ministry. That's one of the big problems with the church today is these preachers trying to make a name for themselves. It's the opposite of what Jesus taught. Jesus said the same thing. When Jesus taught in parables and when He spoke and talked to the people, He was repeating what had already been written. The Bible, Old Testament, New Testament, one and the same. He talked about going to a feast. Don't go up and choose the chief seats. It's better for you to sit at the bottom of the table with the servants so that the man of the house can say, hey, friend, come up here, than for you to go pick a chief seat and be told to go sit somewhere else. That's good wisdom. Galatians tells us, tells it in this way. For if any man think himself to be something when he is not, he deceiveth himself. Our churches are full of people that think themselves to be something when they're not. And that's why we're so weak. Our government's full of people that think themselves to be something, but they're not. They deceive themselves. But, this is what Paul says, let every man prove his own work. And then shall he have rejoicing in himself alone. Guys, let your work prove itself. You don't have to go out and defend it. You don't have to go out and draw attention to yourself. Just like street preaching. I've heard, if I've heard street preaching doesn't work once, I've heard it a hundred million times. I hear it so much. And I don't even have to argue with that. It speaks for itself. So let's don't be people that go up hither to make a name for ourselves. Let's be people that go up hither when we're called to do so by the Lord. So I just find those things. There's one more place. In John chapter 4, we see similar, a similar command. John chapter 4, verse 16. Jesus is speaking to the woman at the well, and He says, Go, call thy husband, and come hither. She said, Well, sir, I don't have a husband. Jesus said, You, you speak rightly. You're right. You've had five husbands, and the one, the man that you're with now isn't your husband. Jesus knew the truth, and he exposed it. Now, note the response of this woman. Did she get her panties in a wad and blow a gasket like people in the church today? No. 
She ran back and told the people there in Samaria, the Samaritans, come guys, I met a man that told me everything I ever did. Is not this the Christ? Is not this the Messiah? I just find that fascinating. Jesus said, go get your husband and come here. Well, I don't, I don't have a husband. Of course you don't. You got five husbands and you're living with somebody that's not your husband. Jesus told her not what she wanted to hear, but exactly what she needed to hear. He didn't beat around the bush. He called out her sin. And in her humility, she ran back and said, I've met the Messiah. I just find that fascinating. I find faith in an old woman of the Samaritans who was, they were hated by the Jews. The Jews called them half-breeds and it was a faith that Jesus was hard-pressed to find in Israel. That's a faith we'd be hard-pressed to find in the church today. Come up hither. I just think that little command there and that good old King's English can teach us some things where we see it throughout Scripture. So I hope those things have blessed you. Um, it says here, Come hither, in verse 9 of chapter 21 in Revelation, I will show thee the bride, the Lamb's wife. Why now? Back in verse 2 of this chapter, John says, I saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down from God out of heaven, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. These things are described. The new heaven and the new earth. It is done. Behold, I make all things new. And then we have that last invitation. Whosoever, come and drink of the water of life freely. Why then here? We're so close to the end. We could wrap it up right here. In fact, Revelation could end with verse 8. But now we're going into a detail. A detailed description. Why here? Right after that incredible invitation. Well, in a way, it's part of the invitation. The invitation says, Come, if you're thirsty, drink of the fountain of life freely. He that overcometh, I will give him all things. This is part of that invitation. In a way, God gives the invitation. And then He says, come and get it. This is yours. This is what will be yours. Whatever you do, don't miss it. Guys, don't miss it. If you're not saved, stop screwing around. Call out to the Lord to save you, just like Miss Jacqueline described this morning. Don't miss this. You don't want to miss this. But perhaps... There's a more important reason, especially for us living in these last days. I'm going to stop with 21.9 this morning, and I'm fine with that. But think for a minute. There might be a more important reason why we're going to get this description here. Especially for us living at this moment, amidst all the fear, pornography, and foolishness, and wickedness, and blindness. Guys, this isn't the only detailed vision of a future city that God gives to His people. There's another place in Scripture where God gives a detailed description of a future city to a people in rebellion. And we are a people in rebellion. We've referenced these Scriptures before in talking about the millennium. Ezekiel 40 through 48, the last eight chapters of the prophet Ezekiel, we get 
a detailed blueprint of the millennial temple, the millennial or earthly Jerusalem in the millennium. Earthly Jerusalem in Ezekiel is not heavenly Jerusalem here. It's not the same city. And there's lots of clues in this chapter. But yet, Israel's given a detailed definition or or blueprint. Great detail about the temple ordinances in these days of the millennium. And the division of the Holy Land in the millennium. We've talked about why would there be sacrifices, blood sacrifices in the millennium. It's Israel's community service. They said to God at Sinai, we're going to do everything you tell us to do. They never kept the ordinances, the statutes and the judgments, and they're going to. Community service. But anyway, we have this great detailed vision given. It's all the warnings of Ezekiel. It concludes with a detailed vision of something glorious. Something to give the people hope. What you see in Ezekiel is not the new Jerusalem of Revelation 21, but it's very similar. The new Jerusalem has no temple. Millennial Jerusalem does. The new Jerusalem doesn't need the sun or the moon to light it. The sun lights the the, the millennial Jerusalem. The sun, in fact, is seven times brighter in those days than it is today. And the moon is seven times brighter. So it's not the same thing. We've talked about how it differs. In fact, the Old Testament prophets differentiate between becoming earthly millennial Jerusalem and the mountain of the Lord's house, which will be established above the tops of the mountains. In fact, I stumbled upon this finishing up the Spanish Old Testament. I was in Zechariah 8. And references made to Jerusalem, the city of truth, in the millennium. That's what Ezekiel explains. And the mountain of the Lord of hosts, the holy mountain. The holy mountain is the new Jerusalem, the Lamb's wife. And I think the image of a mountain here sheds light on the shape of this city. Whose length, width, and height are equal. We'll get into that later. But in these detailed visions of Ezekiel, the prophet tells him precisely why, or or God tells the prophet precisely why, he's giving the people this glimpse, particularly a people that are living in rebellion. We're told in Ezekiel chapter um, 43.10, and this is what I think we need to think about as we consider this vision. Ezekiel 43.10, it is written, Thou son of man, show the house of... Show the house, S-H-E-W, show and explain, just like the angel said to John, I will show, S-H-E-W, the lamb's wife. Show the house to the house of Israel, that, why? That they may be ashamed of their iniquities and let them measure the pattern. God tells the people why He's going to show them a detailed blueprint of their future home. And He's going to let them measure the pattern by giving all the detailed dimensions. Why? So they'll be ashamed of their sins and iniquity. So they might, verse 9, put away their whoredoms. Maybe we need to consider this as why God is going to show us great details about our future home in Revelation 21. 
When we look at this blueprint today, maybe we need to consider why God gave Israel such a blueprint in Ezekiel's time. Oh, yeah, let's rejoice in our future hope. We must and can rejoice in our future hope. But we also need to be ashamed. We ought to be ashamed of where we are as a church in this country. We ought to be ashamed as Americans... We ought to be ashamed, some of us, because we call ourselves Christians and yet we live in a way completely opposite of what Jesus said. If any man will come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. He that saves his life will lose it. He that loses his life for my sake will find it. If the COVID-19 pandemic, endemic, epidemic, whatever you want to call it, had landed in the early church after the days of the apostles... If it had landed about A.D. 150 amongst the early church, those Christians would have been out there trying to get the virus. They would have been trying to get it so they could die and be with the Lord. Read their testimonies. Read the testimonies of the Irenaeuses, the Polycarps, who knew that what they were doing would bring death. And they did not live as men who were trying to stay alive. Because they knew that he, whosoever will lose his life will save it. Whosoever will save his life will, will lose it. Contrast that with us today. We ought to be ashamed of ourselves. Paul the Apostle saw the glory of God. He saw the very things that John sees here. He was caught up to the third heaven. He didn't brag about it. He didn't draw attention to himself. And he saw things that he was not allowed to speak of. It wasn't the time. John, I mean, Paul saw these things. Probably the first time he went to Jerusalem where he spent 15 days after three years in the desert, it says he was in a trance. And then he tells the Corinthians, I knew a man about 14 years ago called up to the third heaven. What did that do for Paul? Did Paul go forth from that point living in such a way that he was trying to stay alive? Uh-uh. Paul might have had a suicide complex. That man wasn't trying to stay alive, guys. He did, but he certainly wasn't trying. He told the Philippians, I'm in a strait. I want to depart and be with the Lord. But I know I also care about you guys. Is that us today? No. We ought to be ashamed of ourselves. When Paul saw these things, he quit trying to stay alive. He didn't care about health and safety. Maybe that ought to be us. Maybe we need to consider these detailed descriptions that we're going to talk about so that we'll be ashamed of our weakness and our fear and we'll put away our whoredoms in the church. Let's rejoice in this future hope, but let us also be ashamed of our diminished ardor like we saw at Ephesus. We need to be ashamed that we tolerate evil like they did at Pergamos. We need to be ashamed of our spiritual fornication with Jezebel and the CDC, like we saw at Thyatira. We need to be ashamed of that. We need to be ashamed that we have a name that we are living and like Sardis, we are dead. That passage horrified me when I preached it years ago and I thought about our ministry. Is that me? It horrifies me today. Do I have a name that I'm living and I'm dead? 
We ought to be ashamed of our Laodicean lukewarmness. So I hope that like Israel, as we go to look at these things, at this city, as we go to look at it, excuse me, at its descent from heaven, its substance, its walls, its dimensions, its construction, may it be for us what it was to be for Israel when they were given such a vision. Maybe it will make us ashamed. If it makes us ashamed and we repent, then praise God. That's what Jesus says to the church at Laodicea. I counsel thee to buy of me gold tried in the fire and white raiment that thou mayest be clothed and that the shame of thy nakedness do not appear and to anoint thine eyes with eyesight that, they, that thou mayest see. As many as I love, I rebuke and chasten, therefore be zealous and repent. That is Christ's message to Laodicea. That is His message to us and that's what we need to consider when we look at these detailed blueprints of a glorious future city because that's exactly why God gave that information to Israel God doesn't change therefore Israel is not consumed therefore the American church still exists God changed we'd be gone a long time ago we need to be like Smyrna fear none of those things which thou shalt suffer these are the red letters guys Fear none of those things which thou shalt suffer. Behold, the devil shall cast some of you into prison, and ye shall have tribulation ten days. Be thou faithful unto death, and I will give thee a crown of life. Jesus didn't have anything negative to say to the church at Smyrna. And he didn't have anything negative to say to the church at Philadelphia either. That message was highlighted a few weeks ago. He said this, I've given you an open door. No man can shut it. You have a little strength. You've not denied my name. And you've kept my word. Because thou hast kept the word of my patience, I will also keep thee from the hour of temptation. That's tribulation that's coming. I'll keep you from it. Which shall come upon all the world to try them that dwell upon the earth. Behold, I come quickly. Then, then listen to this. This is directly tied to what we're going to see of this new city, this new Jerusalem. Him that overcometh will I make a pillar in the temple of my God, and he shall no more go out. And I will write upon him the name of my God and the name of the city of my God, which is new Jerusalem, which cometh down out of heaven from my God. Don't knock a manufactured home like some of these people do that think they're, you know, so entitled as Americans. We mock stuff, you know. Don't mock a manufactured home. That's exactly what the new Jerusalem is. It ain't built up on site. It's built and then it's delivered. <laughs> manufactured homes are good things, even if they take a little longer than they're supposed to. <laughs> I will write upon him the name of my God and the name of the city of my God, which is New Jerusalem, which cometh down out of heaven from my God, and I will write upon him my new name. That is the future for the believer. Therefore, the blueprint of such things ought to humble us. It ought to make us ashamed to want to get sin out of our life, to want to separate ourselves from this fake Christianity that's the spirit of Antichrist, and to burn as a light in the world. We're going to see when we get into some details that um, we're told... The city's substance, um, in verse 11, it's a light. Her light was likened to a jasper. That word light there, foster in the Greek, 
It's the exact same word that Paul uses in Philippians about what Christians are supposed to be in this world. In Philippians, and I'll end with this, chapter 2. Verses 14 and 15. Do all things without murmurings and disputings. A lot of that in the church today. Why? That you may be blameless and harmless, the sons of God, without rebuke in the midst of a crooked and perverse nation. Are we in the midst of a crooked and perverse nation? Absolutely. Among whom ye shine as light, foster in the world. The light, the, the, the substance of light that adorns the new Jerusalem is the very thing that we're supposed to be spiritually in this dark world. She's showing us what we're supposed to be. Does the light of God shine from us when we go out in public or do we just look like everybody else? Do we just go along to get along? In a sense, there ought to be physically something people say and see and say, that guy's different. There ought to be some of that because we shine, we're supposed to shine as lights in the world. So think about that. Um, I'm not exactly sure what we're going to do uh, going forward, um, but uh, man, two weeks to get through one verse, I, I didn't anticipate that. I pray you were blessed. I think there were some other things worth talking about, but um, next time, whenever that is, we're going to look at the detailed blueprint of our future home. A city and a bride. Remember, a city is primarily known by its inhabitants, not by its borders or its buildings. It's the people that make a city. And that's what we see here. The, the lamb's future home, or the, the, the bride's future home is the bride. They're one in the same. So we're going to look at that blueprint. We're going to look at its substance. We're going to look at its wall. We're going to look at its dimensions. We're going to look at its... Uh, construction. We're going to look at its absentia. What's not there is important to consider. And these things are all coming to a grave conclusion. Um, I'm interested, not grave, a great conclusion. Uh, it is interesting to me some of the things we see here. Uh, and um, does anybody know there, that, that there were seven ancient wonders of the world? Okay, there's only one that still stands today. Does anybody know what that is? The Great, no. Mm -mm. The Great Pyramid of Giza. The Great Pyramid of Egypt. It's very different from the other pyramids. In fact, it wasn't until the 800s AD that a Muslim caliph even decided he wanted to see what was inside. And they dug a tunnel into there expecting to find all this great treasure and they found that it was empty. There was no furniture. There was no hieroglyphics. There was no messages. There were no treasures. It was an empty coffer in the king's chamber. It was empty. Very strange. And then there was a Scottish professor, I think in the 1800s, that started taking some measurements. Very strange. And then you see what God says he's going to put in the land of Egypt. And it's going to be a testimony in the last days. I, I just find it interesting. And I think it kind of sheds some light on this vision we get here.
of the New Jerusalem. So I look forward to sharing some of those things with you. And uh, anyway, I hope you were blessed. Thanks for your prayers. Let's pray and we'll eat together. Father, we praise you and we thank you for this morning. We thank you for that precious testimony that we heard. And uh, what a blessing it was. And um, Lord, we're just thankful for your Holy Spirit that draws men and women to yourself and saves them. Saves them out of a corrupt world. Gives them a new heart, puts them back into a corrupt world and keeps them saved so they can be a light in that corrupt world just like that new Jerusalem is going to be a light to the nations. Well, I just marvel at that, Lord. Lord, I pray that your spirit would convict us today as we think about our future home and the incredible things you have prepared for those that love you. May it do for us as it did for Israel. May it make us ashamed of our failures, our weaknesses, our fears. And Lord, may it strengthen us and uh, to serve you and to be the light that our future city will one day be. Lord, I pray for the food that you bless it and our fellowship that you bless it together. And uh, we're just thankful for that in these dark times. Have mercy upon our country. Rid us, we pray, of the sons of Belial or Belial that are in our government. Lord, we're content to sit back and trust you to either smite them to bring the way of all flesh upon them or to have them killed in battle. We're content, Lord, not to take matters in our own hands. Lord, that perhaps even the most wicked of all would repent and be saved. We desire that. And um, we entrust you with that. Thank you for Jesus, the Messiah. Thank you for our hope in Him. Lord, when He said He goes to prepare a place for us, He's not lying. He's preparing that place that comes down out of heaven right now. It isn't heaven. It comes out of heaven. It's our home that he promised to go prepare. And we look forward to the day when we can move in. In Jesus' name, amen.